Hello and welcome to the program UFO Warning. In this episode we're talking about NASA's deception. That's correct, NASA's deception. Now whether we're talking about uh, space shuttle disasters or pictures that NASA just won't release, there seems to be a lot of deception around a lot of things they've done. It begins with the fact that um, most people, I think, don't really understand NASA's origin, where it comes from, and what its prime mission is. Most people, I think, believe NASA is this benign group of scientists uh, who are intent on uh, discovering and exploring the universe. That's not how they started. They started in 1958, and reportedly that was in response to the uh, Soviet, Soviet Union sending up the uh, satellite Sputnik. Uh, they got ahead of the Americans a little bit. The Americans got pretty concerned about, you know, a, a rival superpower uh, getting the heads up on them, taking the high ground in space, and they said, hey, we got to do something. So if you go to Wikipedia, you'll see that their their mission statement basically just says, NASA explores the unknown in air and space, innovates for the benefit of humanity, and inspires the world through discovery. If, if that's not a blank check, I don't know what is. It says core values. We have a set of core values, safety, integrity, teamwork, excellent, inclusion, and they are evident in all that we do. There are jobs and there are careers. What NASA really is, is, is a company, I think I read somewhere where they take in basically $53 million a day in taxpayer money. So they get, they're hugely, uh, you know, relying on American taxpayers. But yet we have to hire Elon Musk to send up uh, rockets uh, to our uh, space station. So they seem to be incompetent of doing the job of keeping our space station uh, supplied and staffed. But yet they're taking in millions upon millions of dollars. They seem to be accountable to no one really. And when you try to find stories about like the two million pictures that they have from the 90s that they took of the moon that they won't release, you know, I found that story once. I'm going to have to go through my old programs and relook it up because that's been memory hold. They seem like maybe the $53 million that, they're, that, they're, that they are granted by taxpayers every year, it seems like millions of that must just go into PR because you'll be hard-pressed to find a bad story about them. But I did find a few stories written uh, pointing toward the deception that we often see with NASA, and I find it to be quite serious. Now, like I said, the first deceptive thing I think about NASA is the fact that they're not like just focused on exploring outer space, okay? They're doing all kinds of other stuff, and those telescopes aren't just directed toward Mars and Jupiter and Saturn. They're directed toward your house, your property. And we'll get into an article here in a little bit where they actually say, well, some of these pictures we can't publish because people don't like to be shown watering their garden in the backyard. NASA's not just spying on the moon, they're spying on you, okay? Now, you could say that's intentional or otherwise, but that's, that's the fact of the matter. And that's one of the most deceptive things about this whole organization of NASA is just what are they watching and who are they watching? Now, this article I found from fedscoop.com, and I'll post it on the Buy Me A Coffee uh, website. You can go over there and look at these articles. 
And as always, shout out to the people that support me over there. I appreciate it very much. This article is titled, NASA Won't Rush Mars Mission Over U.S. Space Race with China. The article goes into some detail about the Chinese going to the moon and you know what a threat they are, blah, blah, blah. And it quotes this, uh, it quotes Administrator Bill Nelson, it says. This is dated July 21st, 2021, so you know, three years ago. But the part of this article that I really found interesting was down here toward the bottom, he says, space is the high ground and the important ground in trying to protect the interest of our country and the free world, Nelson said. Notice that. They're looking at space as a place to look down on us, not up in the sky. Nelson said he also supported expanding public-private partnerships in space exploration. Commercial 3D printing of rockets will reduce the cost of space travel and make it more accessible, while SpaceX's fixed-price contract to deliver cargo and crew to the ISS is enabling commercial space efforts, he said. Look, if these guys are so competent, why aren't they doing that themselves? NASA will require that any space tourist going to the ISS endure the same training and medical and psychological training as its own astronauts so as not to interfere with their research, Nelson said. He says, yes, there may be a Bezos idea of colonies in out, in, out in space. Yes, there may be colonizing on Mars, he said. But we need to have the vision to get there and develop the technologies in order to sustain human life. Now, here's the part that's really important. He says, closer to home, NASA deployed a phalanx of satellites measuring climate effects, he said. In the next 10 years, we're going to put up five great observatories, and we're going to look at oceans and land and ice and the atmosphere, Nelson said, and we're going to compile a 3D composite of the minute changes that are occurring so that we can better project what we've got to do in order to save our planet by saving our climate. Okay, now where do you begin? Five great observatories, five great spy machines to be pointed directly at you to decide how much carbon that you're using, to decide whether or not you're you know, overheating the planet. Secondly, the habris, the arrogance, that they're gonna save our planet by saving our climate. Remember, we've talked about the butterfly effect. You can tweak one little tiny thing. You know, the butterfly in a, in a jungle in South America bats its wings, which leads to a cascading chain of events, which leads to a tornado that wipes out a town in the Midwest somewhere. I mean, this idea that these morons can somehow control the climate, a system with probably quadrillions of inputs, and they're going to tweak that system somehow so that they can keep the temperature of the Earth at a stable temperature. And we're not even talking about the fact that they've been caught lying about the data, okay? They can't lie about it. They can't, they can't help themselves but lie about everything. Uh, it's maddening. Uh, let's take a look at this next article here, which kind of goes into this whole notion of NASA and the fact that they are based on deception, that they engage in deception, and they will be the last people on earth to give you disclosure. So we're talking about pictures, and I did manage to find this one short uh, article from collectspace.com. Uh, it's written by a member, it's like a form, and it's posted 8-27-2002, so this has been a while, but even back then, having problems. 
It says, forget the moon hoaxes. This is out of their league and their comprehensions. Many people are unaware that the moon does rotate on its axis, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, it is a fact that NASA has hundreds of images considered classified. I think it's actually way more than that. Of various lunar mission imagery as early as Ranger, the lunar orbiters one through five and including Apollo. It's hundreds of classified images of the moon. Later down the road, Project Clementine came along and had an outstanding high-res camera on board that sent home some of the finest classified images you will probably never see. Clementine was used jointly by NASA and the Ballistic Missile Defense Organization to acquire these high-res images of the moon front and back. So here you go again. It's this nonsense about, well, we've got some really good pictures, but we can't show you the pictures because if we did, the Russians and Chinese would know how good our cameras are. And if they knew how good our cameras were, that would be uh, a, a danger to national security. What nonsense. So they've got pictures from the 1960s and 70s of the moon that are high resolution, unbelievably high quality, but you can't see them because if you saw them, the Russians and the Chinese would see them, and then the Russians and Chinese would know how far advanced we are and how far ahead of them we are, and that would be a danger to national security. So shut up, go back to bed, and pretend like NASA's your friend. We heard the same garbage out of the Navy and the Department of Defense when they had images of those uh, UFO off the coast of San Diego. Remember the ones that fell into Louis Elizondo's hand somehow in the, in the brown paper bag and found their way on to the New York Times and on YouTube and then had the uh, Tom DeLonge's uh, watermarks stashed all over him? Remember, the Navy came out and said, well, we've actually got much better pictures than that, but you can't see them because that would endanger national security. So understand... They've got pictures of these things. They've told you that they can take a picture of a softball-sized object at 30,000 feet. So they've got the pictures. Same way when that submarine went down a couple weeks ago. They, the, the Navy went knew that that submarine had imploded about a half a second after it imploded. They heard it. But what did they do? They let people believe that those people might be down there gasping for air at the bottom of the ocean. Because, you know, if the Navy told you that they knew about it, then the Chinese and Russians would know that we're listening to everything that goes on under the water in the ocean. And if they knew that, it might endanger national security. Well, of course, that's nonsense. And that particular story got so much national attention and so many people saw through this farcical action of the Navy pretending not to know what was going on that they got a little bit of heat over it and said, how could you keep those families there with false hope like that. So they're hiding from you. They're hiding from you the fact that the Navy can hear everything going on in the ocean, see everything that's coming in through our skies, and that NASA has pictures of the moon that are mind-bogglingly good from the 1960s and 70s. He says some Apollo missions detected moon geysers along the eastern edge of the Sea of Storms, for example, and moon volcanoes. They reported seeing many different colors on the moon's backside, while the centers of some of the craters glowed. We've heard about moon glow many times. Now they're telling us that the Chinese have discovered, what, a 30-mile-long slab of granite that had to have been caused by a volcano. 
So it's looking more and more like the moon is a living body. It's not just some dead inanimate object up there. I mean, it's, it's moving the same way the Earth is moving. But NASA, in its uh, drive to deceive, and its drive to cover up, and its drive to uh, just hold all knowledge to itself, is doing what it's doing best, and that is holding on to the data, not letting us see it. It says, some of the Apollo missions detected moon geysers along the eastern edge of the sea of storms, for example, and moon volcanoes. It reported seeing many different colors on the moon's backside, while the creatures of some of the while the centers of some of the creatures glowed. Later missions observed and reported unexplained haze clouds and color flashes in the in the in and around the crater Aristarchus. A lot of this information is available to those who seek it. In the February 1972 National Geographic, they make mention of some of these findings. He says, I don't want to be too long-winded on the matter, but I'm curious to why classified images of the moon would even exist. Well, it would exist because it can. They want to, if, if it was up to the people that, that run NASA, the people like the people that run NASA, they'd still have you believe the world was flat. And the only reason they, they let you know the world is round is so they can get more money from you. And so you see this pattern happening over and over where NASA exercises deception when it comes to just common, ordinary, everything day, ordinary things that are in plain sight for everybody to see. To see. It is their nature to deceive. It's almost like it's in their charter, okay? They're not put there to be this this vast organization that explores the universe. They're there to spy on you as much as anything. Now let's take a look at this next article. So I've got another article here on photos and this NASA's obsession with not releasing photos, with just being deceptive about it. Now this article comes from space.com. You know, pretty much mainline. This is dated October 16th, 2015, so it's a fairly old article. It says, tracking down rare NASA photos hidden from public view. This written by John, Bis John Bisney. It says, John Bisney, a space journalist, is co-author with J.L. Pickering of Space Shots and Snapshots of Projects Mercury and Gemini and Moonshots and Snapshots of the Project Apollo. And then it goes on here. It says, is there anyone who hasn't seen the iconic photo of Apollo 11 astronaut Buzz Aldrin standing on the moon or the equally famous Earthrise photo taken from lunar orbit by the Apollo 8 crew? They are justly famous because both are dramatic images that document two of the greatest moments in exploration. The first time humans left our planet behind and the first time humans walked on another celestial body. Such images are so historic, in fact, that it's nearly impossible to find a book about space exploration that doesn't include them. And while there's nothing wrong with that or with using any of the perhaps 200 other greatest hits pictures from the U.S. manned space program, for decades, readers have been deprived of a much deeper look at that effort. Ironically, because the more famous photos are, well, more famous. And then it goes on here has the pictures of the astronauts with their heads bent over praying. It says that reluctance by book authors and editors go, to go beyond easily accessible photos has limited the exposure of more rarely seen images crowding them out. As a result, a space photo archivist, J.L. Pickering, and I both realized something was wrong, that the public was missing out and seeing tens of thousands of other images that had simply been filed away and forgotten, languishing in NASA archives. I think he's being a little too easy on NASA here. 
first off, of course we know that a lot of journalists and authors are just lazy. And it's way simpler to just to pick out one of the, you know, couple hundred pictures that's easily accessible than to try to deal with NASA to get pictures that are locked away in a vault somewhere. But you have to ask yourself, why are those pictures locked away? Uh, it is 2023. NASA is getting, you know, uh, billions of dollars a year. What do you say? $53 million a day from the taxpayers. Are you telling me that NASA couldn't find one of those people that should be building rockets to go to the space station, but we, but uh, isn't because they're not competent enough to? Couldn't one of those guys develop a website where they could just post these pictures? Why are, why are so many of these pictures classified? I mean, it's just this notion that this stuff was just kept from you. You're, you're a plebe, you're a peasant, you don't get to see it. These photos filled with far more than astronauts and spacecraft are just, are just as important to the nation's understanding and appreciation of what the country accomplished as their more famous counterparts. They reveal the men and women behind the successes and failures of the early U.S. manned space program. We see their emotions, their workplaces, and glimpses of their everyday lives and culture on the job. So it goes on, talks a little bit about the article, about him trying to find this stuff. He says, uh, in the public eye, and while much material is still hidden away, we knew we had much more, we had more than enough to publish books focusing on rare images or those that have never been released. The result is space, space shots and snapshots of projects Mercury and Gemini. Look, these guys are just tip, they're just touching the tip of the iceberg, you know. Uh, you have you have uh, this article, which is pretty much a, a uh, pretty much a washover, I think, of NASA's really deplorable behavior. Even they're telling you, well, we've only got a couple hundred of these pictures in the public domain, but since you know that's not enough, we went to NASA. NASA's got tens of thousands of stuff pictures of the, uh, uh, buried away, hidden away in vaults that's not accessible to the public. But they did give us another couple hundred pictures, so we're going to write a puff piece about them. You have to ask yourself, what is this obsession with NASA covering up these photographs and being so deceptive? Now, of course, they'll claim that it could reveal sources and methods. Where, will we heal that? Where have we heard that before? Anytime you have people covering stuff up like this, it doesn't lead me to believe that they're covering it up for my own good. It leads me to believe that they're covering it up because they're hiding something from us. Now let's look at this next article. So if we're trying to find out why NASA is being so deceptive, maybe it will help to look back at the roots a little bit of this organization. I think this thing was just founded in deception. We have this article here uh, from time.com. It says, the sadly familiar reason NASA was created. It's written July 29th, 2015. It's got a picture of Dwight D. Eisenhower here and Dr. Keith Glenn and the first head of NASA. It says, NASA may be devoted to exploring the universe, but the agency owes its existence to a far more earthly concern, office politics. The National Aeronautics and Space Act, which was signed into law on July 29th, 1958, was intended to, quote, provide for research into problems of flight within and outside the Earth's atmosphere and for other purposes. Like I said, blank check. One of those other purposes, as time noted, shortly after the sign was to overcome the inter-service rivalries that had confused the U.S. missile and space programs. Well, what do you expect? I mean, you brought all these Nazi scientists over, uh, von Braun, all these guys, and would there be some rivalries? Yeah, I imagine you had people that 
had been working in Nazi Germany using slave labor of Jews who were about to be murdered in, uh, in, in concentration camps. And those scientists that were working in facilities where the work was done by people who were being, who were being actively worked to death and soon to be gassed to death by Nazi uh, SS, those guys were okay with that. Werner Braun was okay with that. What did he say? Uh, what goes up comes down, comes down, something, something like that. These people didn't care, okay? They were sociopathic. But what did we do as America? What did, what did Harry Truman and the CIA do? Well, Operation Paperclip. We went over there, we rounded up these Nazis, and we brought them in, and we flooded our missile and rocket program with these guys because we felt like our guys were too dumb to do the work. Could that uh, create some rivalry? Yeah, I imagine it could. Before NASA, various branches of the military were conducting research into aspects of space exploration like jet propulsion and satellites, and each wanted a key role in the exciting new field. Giving a single branch agency over all space exploration would alienate the others. Moreover, it could signal that the universe was a battleground as much as a place of inquiry. As the NASA Act noted, activities in space should be devoted to peaceful purposes. That's like hiring the fox to guard the hen house. With the establishment of an agency specifically dedicated to space and its counterpoint, the military research agency now known as DARPA, which was created at the same time, that bureaucratic nightmare was thought solved. Well, nobody in their right mind would think it was solved. I mean, creating another behemoth to combat the first behemoth is not going to work. It goes on, it says, NASA's authority to take over a peaceful space-centric mission didn't exactly go down easy. Talks a little bit about that, some of the politics involved. And then it says, a version of that plan is what ended up happening. And before the end of the NASA's preeminence in American space exploration was settled, there was no sign of future infighting, at least not that Glibman would be involved with. I doubt it, he said. I can, I cannot, I doubt that I can go through this again. Yeah, it talks a little bit about the, the infighting between NASA and DARPA. Look, two wings on the same bird. But what you see here is an organization created as a response to uh, the Russians being able to uh, launch satellites, an organization populated, from what I can see, with former Nazis. What could possibly go wrong? Why should we be surprised at the deception that we were constantly uh, faced with from this organization? Now, let's look at this article. It's not just uh, photographs and office politics that these guys can be deceptive about. There's also been uh, some other strange happenings that I think deserve to be covered. Now, this is an old article from the New York Times back when they still did some good work. It's dated November 14, 1988, written by Philip Shannon. It says, special thanks to the New York Times, NASA accused of cover-up and shuttle deaths. Yeah, this is some pretty, some pretty dark stuff. About this archive, it says this is a digitized version of an article from the New York from the Times print archive before the start of online publication. The Times does not alter, edit, or update them. Well, I hope that's true. The, occasionally, the digitization process introduces transcription errors or other problems. We are continuing to work to improve these archive versions. Well, let's just hope they didn't leave out any of the good parts, but I'll read it anyway. A member of the Presidential Commission that investigated the 1986 Challenger disaster charged today that the National Aeronautics and Space Administration had tried to conceal de details about the deaths of seven crew members aboard the space shuttle. Quote, 
Of course, there was a cover-up, unquote, said the commission member, Robert B. Holtz, former editor of Aviation Week and Space Technology. I believe they couldn't face the fact that they had to put these guys in a situation where they did not have adequate equipment to survive. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Maybe I've mentioned this before, but I had an MBA class years ago, and we did a failure analysis on this crash. And, of course, you know what happened in a nutshell the O-rings uh, got too cold. They contracted. They let what gas get by, and you ended up with a uh, with the craft blowing up. And there was talk about whether or not that thing should launch. And the engineers were telling the flight uh, manager, the guy in charge, "Hey, listen, these things have uh, you've exposed these O-rings to temperature ranges outside the safe limits." Okay, we shouldn't do this. There's a there's a there's a chance something can go wrong. We found that the decision makers were actually using qualitative reasoning, that is their emotions, to make decisions that should have been made with quantitative reasoning. In other words, using the math, and that's never a good situation when you're making math-based decisions using only your emotions. So when it comes to mechanical things. Or when it comes to making uh, serious financial choices, uh, it's more important to use quantitative reasoning. You've got to do the math. If you're just following your emotions, uh, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to panic. You're going to get angry and make decisions out of anger. You're going to make decisions out of fear. And this situation, it looked like the guy that was in charge uh, felt like he was under intense emotional pressure to have this rocket uh, undergo a successful launch. So he wasn't using math. The engineers were using math, and emotions had no place in this decision other than the emotion of empathy toward the crew. And there wasn't obviously a lot of that. So we went through the whole process, and we talked about you know NASA's approach to this problem, and the professor asked us uh, what we thought would happen as a result of all this. And I said back then, I said, well, there's going to be another shuttle crash. And he was kind of shocked. And he said, why would you say that? And I told him basically what I just told you. I said, they're making quantitative decisions qualitatively. They're thinking with their emotions. They're not going to the engineers who were the experts. And as I understand it, that next shuttle that came down, engineers had approached, I believe it was a female that was in charge of their group or in the, in the launch and told her, listen, uh, we think that these things have been damaged, but we can repair them up there. And she just shut them down. No, those things are, those things are beyond being damaged. And as a result, you had a bunch more a- astronauts burned to death. So I, I have a lot of misgivings about uh, NASA. I don't view NASA as being some sort of demigod. Now, they're just people like the rest of us. And anytime you get a group of people, if you have a large enough group of people, there's going to be dumb people in there. There's going to be stubborn people in there. There's going to be ignorant people in there. And, you know, usually the dumber somebody is, the more arrogant they are. That's usually it. A sign of high intelligence is somebody who's not arrogant. That's That's been my experience. The highest sign of intelligence is somebody who's curious, wants to know all the facts, and wants to get the information before they make a decision. This know-it-all attitude of, I know everything, you can't tell me anything, uh, d- doesn't hold water with me. And we see a lot of that at NASA. And what happens then when they invariably screw up and people die? Well, they exercise deception because that's what they're good at. And that's what this article talks about. 
It says Mr. Holt's confirming statements attributed to him in the Miami Herald Sunday Magazine said in an interview that he believed that at least some of the seven crew members were alive, though probably not conscious when the crew compartment smashed into the Atlantic Ocean more than two minutes after the shuttle exploded. That would be terrible. Shirley Green, a spokeswoman for the space agency, denied Mr. Holt's allegations of a cover-up. I don't know on what he could possibly base such a conclusion, she said. I think the evidence is very clear that the agency tried through a number of methods to get as honest an investigation as it could. We were straightforward with the public. Breathing packs activated. Yeah, that's the go-to line. We didn't lie to you. First thing a liar will say to you is that I didn't lie to you. NASA was, has altered its account of the January 28, 1986 disaster, first saying it believed that the crew members had died instantly. In July 1986, the space agency said its analysis showed that the crew had no inkling of the disaster. Later that month, however, NASA reversed itself and acknowledged that the astronauts had activated their emergency breathing packs, which seemed to be evidence that some of the crew members struggled to survive well after the explosion. Imagine that. Mr. Hot, because, and why? Well, because some arrogant person on the ground said, I'm not going to listen to the engineers. I'm going to do things my way. I mean, that's how I understand it. If I'm wrong, correct me. Mr. Hot said he believed that NASA's initial statements about their astronauts and other actions by the space agency were part of a broad effort to keep the public from learning that the Challenger crew members might have survived the disaster if certain precautions had been taken. There you go. Maybe if the people in charge of pulling launch switch would have simply listened to the engineers who said those O-rings got too cold last night and they're, they're, they're not sealed like they should be. And there could be a catastrophic fire. If they would have listened, okay? With readily available standard safety equipment like emergency oxygen and parachutes that could have, hap that could have happened, he said, I believe NASA couldn't face that fact. So... Even after they'd screwed up and launched, if there had been proper equipment put on that craft to save those guys, they could have been saved after the fact. But why should we expect an organization that can't make the first good decision to make a second good decision? Determining the exact cause of the astronaut's death is important for policy and legal reasons. Safety specialists say that if astronauts survived the fireball, they might have been saved had the shuttle been equipped with an escape mechanism. Others, including NASA officials, question whether anyone could have lived through the accident. Despite Mr. Holtz's comments to the contrary, the space agency said in a statement today, there is universal agreement that no one could have survived such an accident. Universal. So they've pulled the entire universe. Huh. Reminds me of something else we just got through. Universal agreement. Don't question the science. As a result of the Challenger disaster, the space shuttle Discovery was equipped with devices to allow the crew to escape an emergency shortly after launching. An article in Herald Sunday Magazine Tropic reported that NASA officials misled employees, their presidential commission, and the public about whether the astronauts could have survived the disaster. Something awful. Well, there you go. Make a mistake, cover up a mistake. And that's why you see all this deception. Now, that I, what I'm getting at here is the core value of NASA being deception from the very beginning. Who did we hire? Nazis. Von Braun. Not going to talk about it. What did Von Braun do in Germany? He built rockets to kill English people. And how did he build those rockets? He used slave labor of Jews who were headed to the gas chambers. So just before the Nazis gassed them to death, Von Braun got a little bit of work out of them building his rockets. 
And did he ever apologize for that publicly? I've never heard it. Yep. Big time NASA guy. And it just goes on and on from there. Uh, they're supposed to be exploring the universe, but they're exploring your backyard with photographs looking at you. They're supposed to be sharing all this stuff they find for the betterment of mankind. It's classified and they won't show you the pictures. Why? Because that might expose sources and methods. Sources and methods of what? How they can spy on us? We already know that. It's this circle of deception, this culture of deception. And why in the world anybody ever thinks that they could ever get five minutes of disclosure from these guys is beyond me. Now, I want to take a look at one more thing here. It says, privacy limits NASA investigations. Talking about these pictures. And this is what they're telling you. They're putting it out here right in, in, in plain sight for you. Mr. Kirkpatrick also noted that privacy concerns limit the, the agency's investigations. We can point the largest collection apparatus in the entire globe at any point we want, he said. Think about that. Speaking confidently, we can point the largest collection apparatus in the entire globe at any point we want, he said. A lot of what we have is around the continental United States, he added. A lot? Most people don't like it when we point our entire collection apparatus at your backyard. Think about that. When we do, so apparently they're doing it. So here's NASA, the agency that's supposed to be focused on exploring space, telling you that they have the largest collection apparatus on the globe, and they can point it at your house. So if you want to trust the NSA with disclosure, if you want to trust the CIA with disclosure, if you want to trust the Department of Defense and Intelligence with disclosure, go right ahead. But NASA is no different than this brood of vipers. This is what they do. Yeah, okay, we have to have the military to protect us. But you can't expect the military to give you disclosure about UFOs or anything else. They're telling you that they have the largest collection apparatus in the entire globe. But look, they're not going to tell you about UFOs. Because if they told you about UFOs, they would have to show you the pictures of that UFO in somebody's backyard. And then you would realize, wow, when your wife's out there with her bikini in the backyard, taking a nice uh, sunbathing, or you're out there in the backyard with your grandkids playing in the pool, NASA could be watching, probably are watching. I mean, what else have they got to do? They're not in charge of taking rockets up to the space shuttle anymore, up to the... Uh, space station anymore they've got to hire out all the hard work they've canceled the landing on the moon uh for uh, next year so what do they have to do but look in your backyard with the largest collection apparatus on the globe so as we've talked about this in the podcast about deception and disclosure i get a lot of feedback sometimes negative saying that i you know and being a negative nancy about everything from the smithsonian to Nan to nasa but these articles I've just showed you today right here show you that NASA was based in deception. NASA operates in, decept in deception. And NASA holds and collects tons and tons and tons of data. And they do it deceptively. And you're not going to get it. And you're not going to get disclosure from these guys ever. So it's time to look outside these organizations. That's all I can say about it. Until next time, this is UFO Warning. Over and out.